0: What a blessing. In case you didn't know, the native language in Costa Rica is Spanish, so it just made sense for us to be able to worship in Spanish a little bit this morning. Thank you, ladies, for doing that. Y'all are an incredible blessing, and I am very grateful. This time next week, we will be dodging raindrops. You say, well, how can you be so confident? Actually, I went on the weather.com website this morning, the town that we will be in, which is in Turrialba, Costa Rica. Uh, for the next 15 days straight, there is an 80 to 100% chance of rain every single day. Uh, there are no sunny days this time of year. This is their rainy season, and we are very much looking forward to being there, to be with them. We will come back looking like prunes probably because of all the rain, but uh, what a blessing it will be to go and to minister to the folks that are there <laughs> It is a blessing to be here as well, and I want to begin today with a few words from the scriptures, and then we'll talk about it. So I'm going to ask, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 records a familiar passage. It should be familiar to most of you, because I preached from it not that long ago, but from a completely different perspective. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start reading today in verse 19. This is a passage that has been used often, but rarely to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, reading through verse 33, and this is from the NIV today. If you have a different version, just read along with it and you'll be able to connect the dots a little bit more. So this is what it says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them. And where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven, where moss and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires, the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Probably almost all of them have primarily been about money. In fact, as I mentioned, I did so recently, and when I preached on it, I did talk about money. There's reason for it. The passage addresses money, it talks about our possessions, and it talks about provisions for daily life, and certainly money is a part of that particular passage. Yet there is a much bigger issue that is in play for this passage. In fact, as I look at this passage, I would suggest that money and possessions are actually a secondary issue. The real issue lies under the surface, and it's something that even those who have been a part of the body of Christ for many, many years will have to continually be aware of, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let me begin with a brief video clip. This video is an interview with one of the stars from a television show that most of you'll be familiar with called Duck Dynasty, along with his wife. I'm going to tell you the video is about three minutes long, but I really want you to hear what they have to
1: say. The reason I said fame and fortune was frivolous to me is because we were raised really poor. I mean, we, my brothers, we had one bed, one room, but nobody told us we were poor, and you know, I was just as happy. We were in the outdoors. Every day was an adventure to me, and uh, the reason is, is because we love, you know, who we're with, with our family. Love to, and that's really the reason we love to hunt. It's not so much about what we get to eat or, you know, how many ducks we shoot. It's about who we're with, and so, if you're happy in that situation and you realize what true happiness is, which to me is God, people, and then whatever else, number three, with me, it's ducks. I realized, you know, what are you gonna buy? You can't buy that. I was just as happy when we had nothing. So-
2: And, and when, when we met, when we were teenagers, I noticed that about their family. My parents, my dad's a preacher and my mom was a school teacher at a Christian school. So we didn't have hardly anything either. And so, what attracted us to each other was what we saw in each other in our faith, and we dated very young, got married very young, and um, that's basically been our own motto. We were, we've been very happy for 22 years before the money started coming in. So we have our core values as a family, and we've kept them, and that's number our number one priority is making sure that our kids know that so they also will have the same values, no matter what circumstances come your way. If God is your solid foundation, Good or bad, you're going to be happy. You're going to be joyous if you're in Him, yeah. and that's what we stand on.
1: Well, to, just to prove her point that we, it was a godly thing. You know, we were both both virgins when we got married until our wedding night, and uh, and we decided to do it God's way, and we basically had a godly agreement that we would help each other get to heaven. And so, I mean, a lot of people just think that that's unreasonable or preposterous. I'm like, no, God, God's way, yeah, that's strange. I'm like, you know, if everybody everybody chose to do it God's way, the world would be a lot better off. You think Sorry. about all the guilt, And what an influence diseases. that we can have on our
2: children because yeah. of that testimony. Our oldest son, Reed, has been dating a great girl for over a year and a half, and they also have the same commitment. So it's just such a, such a wonderful, joyous time for us as a parent. To be able to see that and the commitment that they have as children and wanting to do that also.
1: But it's a great testimony because we're like, look, we we do this not because we're representing some organization. We do it because we trust in God and we believe His way is the better way in all things in life. So that's why when you ask me about the fame and fortune, I'm like, I'm going to use whatever God blesses me with as a platform to tell the world, look, God is for you. He proved it through sending Jesus down here to die for us and be resurrected. And for us, that gives us second chances and it gives us hope. And so we, we spread that message everywhere. We say, look, if God can use us, he can use anybody. So uh, that's our story and we're sticking to it.
0: All right, now i got to confess, several years ago I got a costume for Halloween And how often do you get to use stuff like that? So I was a little jealous of his beard. I see Jerry coming up here each week and he's got all that facial hair and then there's me. So I'm not really going to wear that for the rest of the service because I don't think y'all could actually take me seriously if I did. So I do appreciate their confidence and the ability to stand firm in who they are. As we look at their testimony that was shared there in that particular instance, we look at a couple of individuals who have made a determination that they will put all of their trust in God and God's ways. They have determined that God's way will always be the best way. And what was probably just intended as a humorous way to end the conversation, what he actually said displays confidence in the fact that he is not going to change his mind. He said, that's our story, and we are sticking to it. I wonder today, is that your story, and are you sticking to it? I fear that there are very few in today's church that would be able to answer that question affirmatively. I went this past Thursday evening to an ordination service. Many of you remember Richard Smith. He was a part of our uh, church for a little over a year or so, did his internship with us. Incredible blessing to be able to walk with him along this journey. And I had the privilege of going and sitting in on the ordination service in Georgia this past Thursday night. As I participated in the worship And then listen to the minister preach. I couldn't help but wonder what our worship is truly about. I fear that in many cases we have reduced our worship to little more than a good show. That we've reduced our sermons to little more than a motivational speech with a few lines that can be taken out of it and put out on social media. I'm not saying that the Spirit was not in that particular service, but all the smoke and the dancing lights gave the impression that we were just there for entertainment rather than worship. No doubt there was incredible talent, but I wonder if there's supposed to be more to worship. Let me just tell you that if that's all that we are, then the church in its present health And its future is in grave danger. Our job is not to motivate or to entertain. Our job is to draw near to God and to introduce others to his magnificent love and grace. Now, guess what? You can have all the smoke and lights and still do that. I get it 100%. But for many of us, we have taken out the Spirit's presence in the way we do church, our job is to get to know God so well that we become a reflection of him. That others would look at our lives and say, that's what I need. When that happens, then we'll be the healthy church that will normalize godly character like we just saw in that video. Well, our passage begins by speaking of spiritual health it talks about your eye being healthy or unhealthy. When it's healthy, it lets light in. When it's unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness instead. I guess it's kind of like there's a product that's out in the stores today. It's it's called Wipe New, and if your headlights begin to fog up, they reach a point where they no longer put out the same kind of light. You can take that Wipe New stuff, and you got to I've used it. It, It's more than just wiping on like they say. You got to scrub it a little bit, but you can make those headlights shine again where it becomes bright enough. Well, our passage then exclaims that we are to be healthy so that light comes in. It then exclaims, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Corporately, I'll go back to the unhealthy image of today's church. What if the light we think we have is actually darkness? We look so spiritual and we sound so spiritual as we come together on Sunday. What if we think we're on the right track only to discover that what we're doing is nothing more than putting on a show? How deep that darkness is. But that same imagery could be used for the many who attend services like this every Sunday. They can identify certain things that they do and they feel pretty good about themselves. They declare their goodness based on church attendance or because they give or because they would do anything they could for someone who is in need. But in spite of all of their so-called goodness remember Jesus himself said no one is good except the father himself in spite of all of their so-called goodness their lives are not right with Jesus Christ and so there are many who are living in darkness thinking that they themselves are living in light and how deep is that darkness My guess is that God was pretty intentional in the imagery that he uses in this passage. You know, why didn't he talk about the hand being a a portal for light, or the mouth, or even the mind as a source of health? Instead, he talks about the eye. Let me suggest that your spiritual health will always be dependent upon what you have chosen to fix your eye upon. Hebrews 12 tells us that we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But there are many stories throughout the scriptures of individuals whose eyes were fixed on other things only to become spiritually unhealthy people, even though we may know them for some of their good things that they did. There were times that King David, for example, was healthy but he allowed himself to become spiritually unhealthy. Let's start with Solomon. He's a great example of this. He was a man who seemed to try all things for the sake of finding satisfaction. He would declare in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 that all these things, women, alcohol, knowledge, whatever you want to add to the list, he said they were nothing more than meaningless a chasing after the wind. What about David? I mentioned him just a moment ago. His eyes were fixed upon Jesus as a young man. He is a man who is at one point identified as a man after God's own heart. We would look at him and say that is a spiritually healthy man. Yet there would come a day in David's life where he would fix his eyes upon a woman and upon his own selfish desires And he would end up in a position where he would have to cry out, Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knew that his eye being fixed on something other than God would carry great consequences. Know today that if you are to truly find spiritual health, You must begin by fixing your eyes on Jesus above all else. You may be really good. You may do a lot of really nice things for other people. You may be able to identify other people's shortcomings very easily. Who cares? Unfortunately, there will be many really good people in hell. Your goodness will never make you right. But it is the grace of Jesus Christ that can transform your life. Our greatest hope of finding spiritual health will only be in Jesus Christ. What happens so often though is even those who have Jesus Christ get distracted. I even have theme music today. That's wonderful. (laughs) Other things will come in. It's not like you can just make a one-time decision. Hey, I'm going to make sure that I have my eyes fixed on Jesus. It has to be a daily decision that you will make sure that Christ is the center point of your life. Your eyes have to be fixed on not just the day that you kneel at the altar and surrender your life to him, but every day moving forward. And there will be plenty of things that will try to grab your attention. It is a daily choice That's because it's so easy for us to let other things to creep into our lives, and then we're focused on those things instead. In fact, it's these other things that the rest of our passage talks about today. You can't entirely keep these things from happening around you. I wish you could, but what you do with them when they do creep into your life does matter. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul instructs us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. In this passage we're looking at today in Matthew, it's Jesus speaking. It's a part of a great sermon, and Jesus is instructing us not to worry about anything very similar to what the Apostle Paul has said. He says that we often get caught up in worrying about everyday life, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. And what he's talking about is the fact that our eyes often become focused on other things. The worst part of this is the fact that nothing good ever comes from our worry. It's not going to add a single moment to our lives according to our passage. He goes on to challenge his audience with the question, Why do you have so little faith? It's as if worry is being contrasted by faith. He is clearly saying that this is actually a faith issue. He even calls the audience out saying that the way, this is the way that non-believers act, not you. If you truly have put your faith in Jesus Christ... Why does worry dominate your mind like this? Notice that he doesn't chastise them for being aware of the challenges around them. It's not a bad thing that they're aware. I was reading this week about the uh, the Israelites as they were getting ready to go and attack Jericho. Was it a bad thing that they were aware that Jericho had huge walls? Of course not. It's good to know the challenge that awaits you, what you're going to face when you get there. But instead of focusing on the wall, they focused on the God who was able to overcome the wall, and at the end of a week, that wall was completely destroyed. You see, it's not a problem that they're aware of the challenges. The problem comes in when we become so focused on the challenge that we no longer look to our God who can overcome the challenge. I have a confession to make to you today. I struggle with worry sometimes. I would tell you that this has been probably one of the most difficult summers time-wise, and I confess even worry-wise. I was speaking with the staff this week in the 25 years of ministry. This has probably been the busiest summer that we've had as a church. Now, some of that has been really good and encouraging stuff Uh, I think we had 16 kids give their heart to Vacation Bible School to Christ in Vacation Bible School this year. That's a great thing. It's something that we ought to celebrate. Tell you the truth, it takes time to get stuff done. I didn't do a whole lot with it. Other people did. But I'm sitting back thinking, man, I I really need this to go well, and it did, and, and that's a great thing. There are other things that have been really good as well, but there have been some other things that have not been as enjoyable. In fact, it would be accurate for me to describe some of it as quite stressful. And it might be fair to say that at times I've been worrisome, only to have God turn my struggles, my concerns, into something good. Let me give you two examples of it. The first one we've already talked about just a little bit today uh, in regard to this fundraiser lunch that we're going to have this afternoon. A couple weeks ago as our mission trip began to draw near, we realized that we were not yet at our goal of basically having it fully funded, and it began to weigh on me. As I mentioned earlier, we were $3,681 from our bare minimum goal. So I made a few phone calls, we set up a fundraiser lunch, we had somebody who agreed to pay for the lunch. We had someone who promised to match whatever was given for the first $1,500 that came in. To me, that's a lot of money to be raised in one day. But at least at that point, we had a plan in place. The Lord had provided a way. The Lord didn't need my intervention. And he didn't need my worry. That fundraiser became irrelevant past Tuesday, I had someone call me. I said, uh, Pastor, uh, how much do you guys need to raise for the mission trip? I said, our goal right now, we need $3,681. The individual responded, well, who do I make a check out to? And I, I said, well, make it out to the church. And they, uh, I, I said, well, are you talking like a couple hundred dollars? No, nah, I'll just do it for 4000 And God had provided for the need that we stressed over. All of the worry that went into that on my part was completely useless. We have a God who is already in control. A second issue this summer has been in dealing with the city of Clemson. Although our church has been very intentional to partner with the community throughout the five years that I have been here, there have also been some points of tension. Specifically regarding promotion of church events, that should be a good thing, should be an easy thing. But according to a local sign ordinance, churches were not allowed to advertise with any type of banner for more than two weeks per year. So let's use our church as an example this year. In January, we changed our service time schedule. Um, We had to promote to let people know that we had new service times. So for two weeks, we put a banner out front that actually advertised for our our new service times. What that means is at the end of those two weeks, we're done. We can't promote anything else for the rest of the year. So we didn't advertise for Easter. We didn't advertise for our sunrise service or anything like that. But I will say that we pushed the envelope a little bit with Vacation Bible School. We laughed, but the result was a citation from the city of Clemson with a $500 price tag on it. That has caused a significant amount of worry and stress. I have spent many nights with city council. I have been to court. We have met with attorneys and all of those things. Well, to make a long story short, God has once again provided, and all of the worry was completely useless. Tomorrow, I have been invited to meet with the city of Clemson Department of Codes and Ordinances where we will rewrite the signed ordinance code for nonprofit organizations in the city of Clemson. That means that this thing that I have been worried so much about has actually become God's tool to not only help our church, but to help other churches as well. To more easily get the word out regarding ministry opportunities for our city. What was the value of all of that worry? God already had everything under his control. You know, I wish I could say that you'd just be able to shut off the struggle of worry. But it's still going to happen. Know that when worry begins to settle in, we have a God who is more than able to take care of us. This passage is not about money so much as it is about where we place our faith. And knowing that when challenges come our way, when it looks like there's not enough money in our account, when there is an organization that is standing against us, our first response ought not to be to go to fear, but rather to go to Christ who is able to make us victorious. For so many of us, we have spent our time worrying about what tomorrow might hold when it's Jesus Christ who already holds tomorrow in his hand. My challenge to you this morning is that you will place your faith solely in him and that you will know that he is there to provide and he will never come up short. I'm not telling you he's always going to do things the way you want him to. I'm not telling you that it will always be easy and there won't be these things that we do worry about. But I'm telling you that when we turn to Him, He is more than able to turn it into something good. What I look at in this passage is very clearly God providing peace. Again, there may be difficulties, but in the midst of all of our difficulties, we find peace in knowing that God is there with us and He is able to provide. Repeatedly in this passage, why worry? Don't worry. I like what it says in verse 34. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Let's live for the day that God has given us. Let's live in such a way that he would be honored, Let's celebrate his presence and his faithfulness and know that he is confidently going to be there with. We can be as confident as Jace was in that video this morning to know that God's way is the best way. Let's put our faith in him. I do pray, ask you to pray for me as I do meet with the city tomorrow. You have no idea how excited I am that they have invited me to be a part of this. To know that the thing that brought great fear could actually turn into something fantastic. I pray that God will use whatever you're struggling with today. Did you know that He, he can take the worst things that we face and turn into something good? I know my time's up. Sorry. I, I got one, I was reading last night about the story of Ai. Does anyone know who who the people of Ai were? They were a nation that the Israelites went against. The Israelites didn't realize they had a sin problem in their midst. One of their guys, his name was Achan, had committed a a sin, and because of that, when the Israelites went into battle against Ai, they, they got their butts kicked. That's basically the summary of it. They lost. After addressing the sin problem, they go back into battle, and when they go back into battle the second time against the people of Ai, Joshua actually directs them to use the failure from the day before. They actually go into battle, and what the people of Ai don't know is in the middle of the night, Joshua had sent soldiers around the backside of the, the city of Ai so that they could kind of provide a little bit of a sneak attack. And then when the Israelites go into battle, they pretend like they're getting their butts kicked again. They start falling back, and the people of Ai get so excited, and they summon all the men together, and all the men from Ai begin to chase out after the Israelites. They're getting suckered in because here they are. They're thinking, it's just like before. We're taking them. Suddenly, Joshua holds out his staff, and those who had been sitting and hiding come out. They burn the city. They destroy it, and can you imagine these soldiers looking back and realizing, oh, they got us. What happened was God used the failure from their first battle to draw them in and actually turn it into something good the second time around. Did you know God can use all those moments of worry, all those struggles, all those fears, all those failures, God can turn them into something good in you? I don't know the things you worry about today, but I know that my God is able to take every one of them and turn it into something amazing, if you'll allow Him. I'm ask you if you would bow your heads with me, Father, as we come before you. We are grateful for your grace. Too many times we have become so focused on everything else. We have become so distracted by the challenges we face, the walls that are in front of us. And because of that, we have taken our eyes off of you. Father, I pray today that whatever challenges we may face, that our eyes would be fixed on you and you alone. Help us not to be enslaved by worry, but when worry begins to pop up its ugly head, let us turn more intentionally to you where we can find true peace and redemption. Father, I do pray for those who will be going on the mission trip. Pray that your anointing would be upon each one, but I pray that your anointing would be upon each one here today. Let us go out and to be the examples to other people, to show them that we don't have to be dominated by fear and worry. Rather, we can walk in victory knowing that our God is using our struggles and our challenges for his good and even for our good. Father, I pray that you would allow us today to find a peace that passes all understanding. May you be honored as we walk these journeys. In Christ's name we pray, amen.